Welcome to the CRE Podcast, 100% Canadian, 100% commercial real estate. Now, here are your hosts, Aaron Cameron and Adam Powadic. Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Podcast, powered by First National. I am Adam Powadic. With me here, as always, is Aaron Cameron. Our guest today, returning guest today, friend of the podcast, Peter Altabelli from Yardi. We are going to do the Toronto Real Estate Forum recap today. Throughout the year, we've done a handful of these, but I do like the Toronto one in particular because, of course, it does have a very national view of Canadian real estate. So it is definitely one of the highlights of the calendar. And most importantly, this year it was in person, which was a welcome relief. But I do need to, of course, now <laughs> admit that we are recording this review of the Toronto Real Estate Forum January 17th. So this is about five or six weeks after the actual event. So we're in a bit of a unique position that we went to the forum in early December, got all the predictions about what's going to happen, and then experienced a one-month change, You know, unlike virtually anything we'd seen since March of 2020, when everything originally shut down because of COVID. Of course, I'm referring to Omicron kind of doing a 180 on where we thought we were headed and everybody's lives getting upended again. So this will be an interesting show as we're reviewing an event now that just because of such a rapid month of change, some of the predictions might be off, but we hope that adds to the elements of the experience today. Anyways, long-winded intro. Peter, welcome back once again. Thanks very much. It's great to be back. It's going to be great to look back at the real estate forum and then also look future, what we think 2022 is going to look like, especially through this whole upside-down world of Omicron and where we are and where we think we're going to be in the next few months. We had a conversation before hitting record today about whether we wanted to do market predictions. We decided we would. Aaron did highlight that predictions are tough at the best of times, but when things are in turmoil, that much more difficult. But we're going to brave it and put our thoughts out there for the public record. And it means a year from now, people can go back and find out how either spookily correct or wildly off we were. Time will tell. So for those who don't know Peter, I know you've been on a bunch of times, but Mike, egotistical to assume that everybody listens to every single episode. Can you do the two-minute summary of who you are and the lens sure. through which you know you view real estate? Sure. Thanks. And Aaron, thanks for being back as well. So Peter Altabelli, I'm the vice president of Yardi's Canadian Operations. I've been involved with Yardi for almost 30, 35 years. Yardi, if you don't know, is a software provider or the largest software provider of real estate technology worldwide. I run their Canadian operations and spend every day dealing with real estate companies and technology. And that's kind of my background. And there's way more detail than that. but Far more detail, but we don't need to bore people with the detail, guys. (laughs) If you want to, go back and try to find the first Peter Altabelli episode and you can hear way more about his background and the details of Yardi because I think it's just an incredible platform that you guys have. And maybe we'll explore a little bit of that through our conversation today. Let's jump right into it. We set the teaser a little bit. We're going to talk about the forum through the prism of January 17th, 2021, basically two months after the forum and digest some of the key messages that were said. And then we're going to talk about some of the guest speakers, Richard Florida and Don Tapscott in particular, because that doesn't necessarily mature over time because their messaging is much longer viewed. And then we're going to do predictions. So first, let's just start with the outlook for the Canadian economy for 2022. I mean, at the time, Mr. Benjamin Tall, one of our favorites at all these forums, was predicting more or less saying to us that interest rates were going to rise and that he anticipated announcements from the Bank of Canada that rates were going to rise over 2022. Now, basically two months later, we can guarantee that that's going to happen. If you take a look at the announcements today from the Bank of Canada, the 17th of January, that's happening. It's happening. They've indicated they're going to be increasing the rates probably on a per quarter basis for the balance of the year. And 
although the increases will be significant, I think the ending rate will still be very affordable by people. But in terms of the bank's view, increase is an increase. And I think you're going to start to see that occur. And it's going to help battle inflation, or their hope is it will help battle inflation. And I think you're going to see that round one happening anytime soon or pretty soon. Some of the other interesting things that came out of the conversation around the economy in the context of rapid change, debt overhang will continue to be a long-term burden. That was not news in December. But of course, now multiple levels of government are getting ready to do a lot of more subsidies and things like that that we thought we were hopefully past the bulk of. But I know all three levels of government right now are looking to support businesses who are going through yet another lockdown. So if debt overhang was a problem back in early December, that's definitely being ramped up even more now. Well, and that just drives the inflation challenge. I mean, again, the numbers that Benjamin was using in early December was a 18-year high of 4.4% inflation in the September, which I guess was the most recent data that he had, an expected average of 3.4% of inflation in 2022. I can't remember what the number is exactly, but it starts with a six. We've seen it rise consistently. And that expected average of 3.4% in 2022 may actually be half of what it will end up being. He was indicating that at the time, like the problem with that is even at 3.4%, that's beyond the target of the Bank of Canada of 2%. If he thought 3.4% was concerning, like something with a 6% or above is really concerning. Hence why like we're anticipating such rapid interest rate increases early in the year of 2022. I think we're going to see them quicker, faster, and more sustained in terms of the interest rates throughout the course of this year. And I think it's going to have an impact on the economy. It should have an impact on real estate, more probably at the retail home buying level. For those that are marginal in terms of being able to buy, some of these increases will put them over and take them out of the market. But for the larger guys, those who are larger in terms of their purchases, I don't know if this increase will have that much effect on them, especially if they've got longer term financing in place and different types of financing in place. I don't know if the Bank of Canada will have that much of impact on the larger real estate purchases in the country. But I think as it relates to buying and selling of homes, it may, in the latter half of this year, knock certain people out of the market. It just has to, right? Like it's simple economics. You can only afford what you afford. And so at 1.5% interest rates, which is what they were just five or six months ago, you could buy a million dollar home and making up numbers. But at 2.5%, you could only afford an $800,000 home. Right. Like it immediately changes your purchasing power. So a single family unequivocal challenges, not challenges, but unequivocal impacts. On the commercial real estate side, it will be really interesting just how the overnight rate increases impact the longer term rates. Where does the five-year Government of Canada bond go or the 10-year Government of Canada bond go? And what does that look like over a period of time? And then how does that impact valuations ultimately, right? Like where does the, you know, again, we always kind of use the general rule that cap rates are about 100 basis points above interest rates. And that's held true for a really long time. So on the purchasing side, where does the return on investment get pinched to the point where values come down? If they do, who knows if they will. The one thing that I think is really interesting is if you look at five-year rates five years ago, they were around the same place they are today. So there are people coming out of a five-year term into a similar interest rate environment. So that's actually not a bad thing. It's not like it's up 100 basis points or 200 basis points where now all of a sudden there's a capital squeeze or buy-down requirements from their lenders, et cetera. So again, who knows? If rates skyrocket, then that will pose a problem. But presumably they won't. It'll be a nice, slow, incremental increase. And so you won't have that refinance or renewal challenge that you may see on the single family side to be determined. But a very interesting storyline for 2022. 
The second point we want to talk about, big takeaway from the Toronto Real Estate Forum is the apartment market. How has the apartment market performed throughout the pandemic? In December of last year, rents had started to return or recover in the markets most impacted, which of course would be luxury rents in major markets. With us shifting back into a lockdown now, will we see that recovery stall? I don't know. At this point, we're probably too early to tell. We can revisit that in March and get into it. But that was highlighted at the time that while the pain was focused in certain subsectors of the apartment market, it has started to recover. And overall, of course, apartments performed exceptionally well. Part of the promise of apartments when you buy them, they perform very well in turbulent times. And not even looking at the year 2021, just if you look right back to the start of the pandemic, uh, apartments really delivered on that front. Yeah, I would agree. I think apartments in 2022, first of all, in 2021, did perform much better. In 2022, will continue to perform. Immigration is starting to pick up, although maybe not be where we want it to be as a country, but it has picked up considerably now that where we are in the pandemic. And again, this may change tomorrow, may change overnight, depending on the governments. But as it stands today, I think apartments, rents have picked up. I live in the city of Hamilton. Housing is incredibly tight here. Buying a home is very difficult to do. There's not a lot of inventory and it keeps people in apartments for a longer period of time. And if I'm a homeowner or I want to be a homeowner, I'm not able to do that. I'm going to continue to rent. I'm going to be in them for longer periods of time. And there's going to be more demand as immigration starts to pick up and continues. And me staying in place in a rental for longer than I planned on, I think apartment sector is going to be safe in 2022 and see significant growth. And then with new building coming online, we're starting to see more of that coming online this year as well. Starts that happened a couple of years ago are going to start to be ready to be rented. And I think that there's going to be a good balance in the sense of there's not going to be a glut of new apartments coming online. It will be more paced in over time in 2022. I think rents are going to be stable or go up. And in most major markets, I think this is going to be a good asset class again to continue with. You know, it's funny. We're going to get to 2022 predictions. And so this is not my prediction. It's a headline today that apartment rents are not increasing at the pace they have for the last 20 years. It sounds like a negative thing, but it's still not. It just means that the last 20 years, it's been probably rising faster than it should. And so we're seeing a slower curve on rent increases, but they're still increasing even through the pandemic. I think what's interesting is you are seeing, I mean, I'm being a little bit cheeky with that past 20 years, but it probably probably isn't far off. But the reality is they were rising everywhere. It didn't matter if it was a town of a thousand people or the MTV, right? Montreal, Toronto, or Vancouver. They were going up significantly, basically throughout the country. I think what the pandemic has done is probably created a little bit more, here's your favorite word, Adam, bifurcation of the apartment market, where there are some places where they really aren't rising at all anymore. And yet there are places like Toronto, Vancouver, and Montreal, whether you're talking the greater area or suburbs, or even smaller towns outside of those major urban centers, they're still going to continue to rise simply because, I mean, you hit on it, Peter, just the supply and demand intersection has been so far off for 20 years. It doesn't really matter. And it was Wendy Waters on this podcast, I don't know, a couple of years ago saying, we are 100,000 units short. And yet in that time frame, we built 6,000 units. Like we're still 90,000 units short just to meet equilibrium. So the pandemic, no pandemic doesn't matter from a simple supply and demand conversation. We just have not even started to slowly chip off the amount of units that need to be built. Well, to that point as well, Aaron, I mean, it's highlighted at the conference. You know, it does get reflected, of course, in upper pressure on values. September 2021, the national average selling price was up just shy of 14% year over year. 
that is enormous. I mean, it does continue the general hockey stick trend of apartment valuations that I guess it really started 2015-16 in there. But for turbulent times, 14% increase in average sale price is, is enormous. Yeah. I still think this is a great asset class in the apartment market. I still think it'll pull the rents. And you're right, it's not going to be the same everywhere for all major areas or even some markets. But overall, I don't see this slowing down a great deal over the course of the pandemic in the next 12 months. I'm bullish on the apartment market. I think the worst scenario is it'll be stable. And that's not a bad thing. Stability is not a bad thing. Not in this time. Let me tie the previous conversation, this conversation together, because one of the underlying things that get lost, I think, when you're talking about apartments is income levels and employment levels. One of the things driving inflation, quite frankly, is employment levels are continued to remain strong throughout the pandemic, particularly in certain sectors like technology and finance, et cetera. And we've experienced, I think all institutions are experiencing it. There is pressure on income levels. Incomes are rising rapidly right now, which allows for higher rents that supports those rents. So good. I'm glad people are making more money. It drives inflation, but it also supports the apartment market. So it's a very interesting relationship between those two conversations. Let's keep going. The last sort of general theme was the impact of the pandemic on the office market. I mean, I find this one of the most interesting. This actually ties everything together also, right? We just talked about employment and income levels. Of course, apartments, we were talking about the movement of people between urban and suburban locations and what that means and people moving from apartments to single family homes, whether it's renting or owning. A lot of that will be undetermined until we really get a sense of how the pandemic and the post-pandemic please let there be a post-pandemic period, impacts the office market. And we won't know. We really won't know for three, four, five, eight years. I mean, who knows, right? Aaron, I agree with this. I think it's still going to take a while. If we look at vacancy rates back in the 1990s, early 1990s, mid-1990s, they were just north of 15%, 15, 16%. And that was significant. We're there now. We're at what? Downtown is about 15, 16%. Early 90s, it was 15 plus percent. In some areas, even north of 20%. And I'm dating myself because I'm going back now 20 years. But I think we're there now. I think the pandemic is the wild card. I do believe there will be a return to office. I really do. Guys, we're a technology company. We could work from home forever. Like We're geared to work from home. The 17th of January, we got hit with a major snowfall. There was no snow day today. We just kind of kept going and working from home. Where if this was pre-pandemic, we'd be all shoveling snow all day today. No one would be working. So you know, you hit the ground running. You continue with the environment you're in. But in terms of the office space, I agree, we won't know for a variety of years, but I do think that there will be a return to office. I think people want to interact with others, and I think that that will drive the vacancy rate into some normality. It will take a while still to do it, but I do look at office as being more reinvented, but I do see people wanting to get back. You mentioned the return to the office, Peter. The predictions that would have been made in early December, but when we were all going back versus us doing our bit of a delay show now, I mean, radically different. That aspect alone would be interesting to revisit some of the predictions people made about vacancies and interest in the asset class. We probably should mention, because we delayed recording this a little bit, we did get a chance to see RBC Plaza sell here in Toronto for $1.2 billion, very large transaction that everybody's kind of buzzing about as a vote of confidence in the market, that they achieved a price that by any measure was pretty strong and that people want to make very large wagers. I mean, it's a $1.2 billion wager on Toronto downtown office. So this one I thought was particularly interesting in terms of just the radical shift in the last few weeks, but 
I don't think there's any argument to be made about whether Office will come back. At this point, it's just a matter of when. And I think you're going to look at different kinds of leases. I think you're going to see flex leases on an increase in terms of companies wanting more flexibility built into their leases. I think owners of office space are ready to have more flex leases in their space. I also think owners of real estate will look at flex lease space and set it up themselves versus having long-term tenants come in and create flex space that they're going to rent to individuals and companies. I think the landlords are going to get involved with flex leasing in a big way. They have the space. There's the technologies out there now. It's readily available. Five years ago, it wasn't. It was very specialized. And I think you're going to see a change in office as well, a change in office that will happen over the course of next number of years in driving flex space and not picking on any one company, but the WeWorks, I think landlords are going to do it themselves. They're not going to need the yeah. WeWorks to come in. They're going to do it themselves yeah. and create flex space moving forward as one kind of flex space moving forward in the market. And there will yeah, be other it, types as well. That's where I was going, Peter. You know, it's a really interesting sort of philosophical conversation, which is fine because you don't often get these in commercial real estate. Richard Florida, who was one of the guest speakers on the first day, who was fantastic. And if you don't know him, just Google Richard Florida. And he's an urbanist and he was kind of talking about his prediction was that this is going to have a profound impact on office. And he kind of used the example of his father, who was a factory worker in the 50s. And that workspace, the general image when you thought about workspace was lining up to get into a factory, you tick it in and tick it out at the end of the day. Like that was workspace. And then technology implications and changes and companies became more sophisticated and larger. And so your mental image of an office space became seas of cubicles, right, over time, which is kind of where we are today. His idea was that this is going to change the way that we work, the way that we interact. I wasn't arguing that we aren't collaborative beings. Humans want to interact with each other, but an office space will less become the place where you go and to do your work, but more of a place where you go to collaborate with the individuals that you work with and you continue to do your work in other places. And that I think he said, we're going to get rid of these seas of cubicles and it's just going to be more open space and more areas for collaboration. You're going to go into the office just to have meetings and meet with people and have lunches and do those things. Then you're going to go back to wherever it is you want to work, whether that's a Starbucks or your home or your basement or your cottage. And that you will no longer be going into the office every day to sit down at a cubicle and sit there for nine hours and crunch through whatever it is you've got to crunch through. It's interesting. And now then bring this back to the implications of commercial real estate. If that were to be true, as you think it through, it kind of sounds reasonable. What's the demand on office space then? If you don't need to fit your thousand people into one building and you only need them to come in on collaboration days, for lack of a better term, probably don't need the same square footage. You don't need the same footprint. You don't need whatever it is, right? It will change the way that businesses look to office as an asset class for their needs. Again, does that take three years, seven years, 12 years? Does it never happen? Maybe I eat my word. Maybe I should have put this in the 2022 predictions and <laughs> 10 years from now, I know, I, I'll be sitting in my cubicle. Yeah, it's going to be a neat thing to see. I think, Aaron, all the points are valid points and I don't think there's a crystal ball. And I think we look through this lens of the pandemic and the trees and the forest are all confused. But we do see one thing and it's consistent is there will be a change in the way commercial office space is used. There will be a change in the way owners of commercial office space will lease their space. And there will be much more flexible leasing. Owners, tenants will set up that space much differently, at least in the near future. In the near future, let's say, is the next three or four years. I think that that's happened. It's happening and will happen in the next little while. How you predict further than that, I don't know right now. You look today, January 17th, Google announced it just bought a billion dollar property in the UK, in London, and they bought it for their employees. They believe people are going to come back to the offices. And this is Google. This is the thing that drives the internet as we know it today. 
And yet you have others, social media companies like Facebook and Apple, they're pulling back and saying to their employees, stay home. Don't come in because of the current situation we're facing. But will they come in? Will they go back to the offices? I do believe they will. I think these large high-tech companies, I'm a little bit influenced because we're a technology company, they will go back in. I know for our own company, we're not in a hurry. We have 45 offices around the world. We're not in a hurry to go back. Will we go back? Yeah, but not so fast, not so soon. And I do think the office market will reflect that in the next short term, 2022, but it will be a different environment. And I think Florida's discussions at the Real Estate Forum were incredibly interesting. First of all, he can articulate incredibly well. He can pull the data together and create the story and then make it simple for people to see and understand by how he pulls all this data together. And it's one of his talents. It's one of the things that makes him who he is as a person. But I do think he's on a trend. He's seeing it in the data and he's able to articulate it moving forward. The question is the timeline around it. I'm not quite certain, but I do think there's absolute change in the whim and it's going to happen. It's going to happen if we like it or not, it's going to happen and we'll all adapt to it. And I think the next generation of workers will see it differently on how they want to work at a company. This next part will be interesting to anybody who lives and breathes the transaction side of real estate. Obviously, real estate brokers being the obvious one, but can extend further than that. And that's investment activity. The time the stats were done, the year was not done, so it was not complete. But the big push is into apartments and warehouses. That's not news to anybody. But I guess the depth of that push might be with apartments and warehouses really leading the way that is going to lead to an almost $50 billion CRE investment activity in 2021. New annual record. On the podcast, I've said this numerous times, but why not repeat myself? Because that's what I do on this podcast. In March 2020, when we were leading into the pandemic, if you had to jot down five thoughts on where you'd head during the next couple of years as society went through this, I don't know that we would have been discussing you know, record volumes and housing prices through the roof and struggles to even find employees. The outlook was so dark. I mean, this is just yet another sign that the economy as a whole is going to come out strong. Their side is, but in particular, the area that we all play in, being commercial real estate, is very strong and it's something we should be grateful for. I would agree. I think in March of 2020, I think everyone was holding their breath and saying, oh my God, what's next? And then look where we are. We had a one-month pause, I think, in April. And by May, things were picking up in 2020 and didn't stop where housing prices are on the increase, people are buying, interest rates are low, commercial real estate, industrial is springboarding to something I don't think most people even imagined for industrial space to go as high, as fast, and as being the golden child of asset classes in addition to you know multifamily. And yet we were in a pandemic and everyone was told to stay home and don't move, right? So I think the activity and where we are and where we're headed is going to be an incredible ride. I think we're going to come out of this very strong. And I think commercial real estate is going to lead that charge in North America as one of those markets and one of the industries that are going to be bullish and continue to be bullish. One of my favorite quotes that I've heard on this podcast over the years was a gentleman named Peter Cuthbert. At the time, he was the president of Fiera, and now he's with Colliers. And it was, we're in the business of housing enterprise. I never really thought about it that way. But if you just think about the interactions of businesses in every form or fashion, our business is to basically house those enterprises. And so, yeah, we could put in a lockdown, but we were buying things online. And so global enterprise was just shifting to provide easier access to goods while people were living at home. And so, of course, that drove 
what we've now are calling same site delivery or the hub and spoke models and last mile deliveries and all sorts of things that people were talking about it, but kind of in the corners of real estate, not in the center of commercial real estate, where now those things are right in the middle of it. We just talked about the implications on office and the way that businesses are going to change the way that they use and view office. And as an industry that houses enterprise, we will adapt, figure out ways for office to change. What I think is really interesting is it's not for lack of capital. It's not for lack of investment. There is a ton of money in enterprise that need real estate, obviously. Whether you're owner-occupied or just investment trying to find returns, there are end users these things, if you think about like all of the spec build industrial, like people don't build industrial pre-leased anymore. That used to be a thing you talk about spec builds and oh, they're taking a little bit of a risk, right? But they kind of were confident that they could find a tenant. Now people are shaking their heads at you being like, what do you mean you built that with a pre-lease? Like, why would you give yourself not that runway? Leases are going to go up by three bucks in six months, right? Like three bucks per square foot, that six month period by the time you break ground and deliver your box, right? Like it's just such an incredible world right now. And then you bring that circle to apartments. It's the same thing we were talking about earlier about just the supply and demand issue. There just isn't enough of it. So of course, there's investment and capital chasing those returns, looking at that risk-weighted adjusted return saying, there are going to be people that need this place to sleep. They're going to need these beds. Just like an industrial, they're going to be people that need these sheds, the beds and sheds analogy. And so if there's a low risk, then there's going to be capital chasing it. The question I have is at what level of return. And we've had this conversation with other property investors, operator owners, where like we always use this. For developers, it used to be 20% return was what they were targeting. And now if it's 12, it's okay. But you're starting to see, like we're seeing it on the lending side where we've got some investors are coming in saying, I'm going to make an 8% return on this apartment development. We go, uh, like, I'm not sure there's enough juice there for you to really want to do. That. Are you sure you want to do that for 8%? Like you can just go buy some stocks and probably be better. Buy First National stock is a great return. That's not an investment advice. I'm not allowed to give investment (laughs) advice. But you know what I mean? There's so much capital chasing all these. I agree, like industrial and apartments are going to continue to attract an incredible amount of capital. But that capital is fighting each other. Not arguing there is going to be another probably record year in 2022, but the returns just aren't the same as they used to. And at some point, there's got to be a threshold where, okay, wait a minute, maybe we're getting a little bit too aggressive here. I think, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, Aaron. It's going to go down to 2022 predictions, right? So there's still a lot of investing, a lot of competition in terms of the money on the market. There's a ton of money still to be invested. People are still looking at wanting incredible returns. They still feel they can get it. Industrial and multifamily are seem to be the golden children right now. And you're still getting a lot of people putting a lot of money into both of those asset classes. How much industrial space has turned just in this last week with announcements coming out earlier today and late last week on those changes of hands on all that industrial space that's occurring, at least in Ontario, I think it's going to continue. I think you're still going to get a lot of money coming to the market in the industrial space. There's going to be a lot of turn on on portfolios, a lot of people selling, a lot of money to be placed. And I think you're going to find less and less spec building in the industrial space because you know if you build it, they will come and there's going to be that need. And I think developers are going to be a lot more at ease building properties in which they don't have fully leased and are going to be able to achieve it. I do think you're right. There's going to be a point where we're going to hit an upper threshold. Is that the first half of this year, second half of next year? I don't know. I think there's going to be a lot of activity in between though. One other trend in real estate that's worth mentioning is impact investing, recent surges in ESG, responsible investing strategies. I guess that's a term that I'm not too familiar with, but impact investing heard quite a lot. And that would revolve around affordable housing, renewable energy, not-for-profit facilities. 
And yet it is amazing. I mean, Aaron and I have talked about this before, but four years ago, everybody's talking about it. And now we're seeing a lot of large corporations and even mid-sized ones putting significant plans in place and making movements on it. I even just the other day, I was speaking with the developer and they've got a building and it's lead certified. And he goes, well, we're trying to attract institutional money and this is just table stakes now. I think we are at an inflection point for this where there's going to be a return attached to it, you know, a certain capital coming into your projects attached to it. And so I think that for 2022, you know, this is my prediction, this is set at the conference, I'll save my predictions for the end, that we are going to see a big ramping up of not just awareness of this conversation, but actual action and quantifiable returns. That's just gasoline onto a fire in the best way possible in terms of bringing that to the forefront, that there will be real returns attached to it. Agreed. I think you're right on the table stakes. A lot of this is going to be standard table stake, lead certification being one, but there is going to be what we thought were exceptions or those types of properties and developers that were building the exception, going the extra nine yards. Five years ago, three years ago, you're right. These are going to be table stakes. This is going to be the basis of what's going to be expected by investors. How are you weaving it into the Yardi platform, Peter? So for us, as it relates to a lot of this, very quick, we had a client call last week who was brand new multifamily development coming into the Toronto area, but it wasn't going to be all market rents. They were going to be split between market rents and affordable rents with agreements with the city of Toronto. And how was our technology going to be able to handle anywhere from onboarding the difference between market and affordable rents and in that whole back office, how are we supporting that in terms of financial accounting from marketing of those particular types of units, not just the property now, the units within the property, all the way to handle the back office financial accounting around affordable versus market units. This is going to be the standard. This is a brand new building that's coming online in the city. And these discussions, we would never have had those discussions three years ago between affordable and market. It would have all been market and we would have had an onboarding process of market rents on brand new builds. And it's simple. Now it's not the property, it's units within the property. And how do you determine and distinguish those units? How do you market to those units? How do you make sure that when we're knocking or we're classifying them as affordable, you're getting the right applicants for those suites. And then from applicant to housing them and the turn of those in the future years when people move out. That's a different conversation than, hey, we have a new building coming online and we want to get that marketing of that property out, get that property filled. These are different yeah. conversations. And this is not necessarily family money of a family doing this. This is institutional money coming in that is doing this. And now your table stakes have changed. It's really interesting. I mean, everybody knows like First National, we've, we're dominantly more focused on the apartment industry, but we're seeing it more and more. I want to talk about the MLI Select Program, which has come out after the Toronto Real Estate Forum. So there's a new development in the commercial real estate space. But anecdotally, Adam and I probably did one ESG episode the first four years of the podcast, and now we're basically doing one a month. IWBI, we did a number of them. Delos, the incredible story about an American company producing basically air quality reports, things like that. IWBI, International Well Building Institute. We've also had on our podcast a woman, Melissa Jacobs, who's the head of sustainability at First Capital. In a couple of weeks, we're going to have an episode with Marley Cohn, who's basically the ESG strategist for Starlight, for an apartment owner, for Daniel Drimmer's apartment company. So these are major institutions that are saying, like, I need to have people in my organization that are focused on this. It is now table stakes. It's not something you just write a policy about, hey, yeah, I've got an ESG policy. It's like, no, 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 I'm actually going well above and beyond. And this is, I think, what was really interesting on the real estate forum and remains true today and will be for the foreseeable future. We are, as a collective community, starting to realize that there's true 
benefit of returns on this. It is not something that you just do and put it on your website and say, yeah, I'm focused on the environment or social or governance issues. It actually allows you to improve your yields, which is, I mean, obviously for profit or most of us are for profit organizations where that's driving decision making. And if we know that it's going to end up improving our return on investment, then why not do it? Because it is. We're seeing better rents in office space, depending on the office use, but we've already touched with that. And I think we're seeing the demand in the apartment space in particular, where tenants are saying, well, wait a minute, are you focused on lead strategy? Are you focused on high efficiency use of energy, et cetera, et cetera? Again, I think four or five years ago, it was only on the fringes of our community. Yeah, I think responsible investing is here to stay. And ESG is driving it. Organizations like ours are creating the data, creating the reporting, allowing for better insights into how organizations execute, measure, and report on their ESG. And more and more technology is going to be put around that to ensure the fact that investors can see what organizations they're investing in are doing. And it is going to be one of those, again, table stakes. It's going to change the way investors look and how they want to make money. And there is for-profit companies are looking at saying, this can be part of the equation now. In honor of our guest today, we saved his favorite topic for last (laughs) in the highlight reel here. We did apartments early for Aaron and me. That was nice. But technology, specifically the theme coming out of the forum was companies integrating technology to improve their bottom line. This is Peter's home. You know, this is where he lives and breathes. This is day to day. You're right. This is living and breathing for us and for me and for our organization. But I really think technology as it stands today and where real estate companies are going is incredibly different. Canadian real estate companies, they're at a tipping point. They're at an absolute tipping point. They're investing in prop tech companies, which is great to see that the industry itself is investing in where it wants to see next generation going and not just relying on our partners in the States, but Canadian companies are doing it, investing in Canadian companies. And that's fantastic. From our own view, from Yardi's perspective, we are busier now than we've ever been automating more of real estate companies than we ever have and bringing all the stakeholders together. So now what you're going to see is from consumers to renters to investors to developers, all the way to the guys who operate the properties, bringing it together, suppliers, people who work in the properties, tenants, employees who are in the properties, all coming together, all interacting in integrated platforms using technology to run real estate. It's not just going to be about how much money you've made, financials and operations. It's bringing everything together, including all the technology that fits into a physical property itself. So I see huge changes in the next 10 years. I think our discussions in the next three to five to seven to 10 years will be dramatically different. If we were doing this 10 years from now, 2032, the discussion on technology and real estate will be not what it is today. It's just going to be a quantum leap different. If I look back 10 years and say, let's talk about 2011, 2012, and 2022, the real change has happened in the last 24 months or so. In 2019, we started seeing some real change in the industry in Canada, and the pandemic just shot it forward faster than I think most people thought it would ever do. That conversation we're having today versus 10 years ago is significant. I think in the next 10 years, it will be two to three times the differential today, at least. That's great news because Aaron and I, Four years ago, had a gentleman on the podcast named Abhishek Sinha. We did a whole hour on all the cool stuff and, you know, very great. Bring it on. Let's roll it all out next month. And it seems like the adoption is not what you'd hoped it would be. So the idea that we are at a tipping point is super exciting to see a rapid improvement in the way we do business. It's worth highlighting the major areas of disruption currently going on from a tech perspective. The five areas are construction tech, 
cybersecurity, AI, big data analytics, and IoT. I know with you, Peter, we've talked about IoT briefly before, but love to get your view on that because I think this list is interesting, but that's the one that really jumps out to me. Yeah, I think yeah, what's nice about all of these areas, especially IoT and data analytics, it really goes to improve profitability. So anything in terms of technology now is not an overhead. It's how are we going to improve profitability? How are we lowering your costs? How are we increasing your revenues? And what's this technology going to do to make your world of a realistic company easier, better, faster, and far more profitable? And I think technology is pointed in that area. IoT is one of those types of technologies that's evolving still and there's a long way to go, but is off to the ground in a real quick start. If you take a look at multifamily space as an asset class, IoT there is dramatically different than, say, in the office or retail space. Internet of Thing technology is not just turning lights on and off and sending out heat and stuff, but integrated with the whole applicant process for self-guided tours, integrating IoT in a self-guided tour where a leasing agent doesn't have to show up to open the door, to let them in, to go view a property. And I know a while ago, we did a podcast on that and we talked a little bit about it. But that piece is now starting to be deployed with companies in a very conservative way. We're seeing both in Canada and the US. They're trying to deploy this type of technology that allows people to come in and do a tour at 11 o'clock at night in the building or 11 o'clock in the morning in the building without being supervised by an individual, having full control every step of the way in terms of a self-guided tour. That is dramatically different. That is driven by IoT. That is driven by back-end data analytics and AI. So between those two types of technology combined, it's changing the way people are going to lease. And I think in the up-and-coming years, at least in Canada, that will be a game-changer. That's a cultural change and a business change that's dramatic in the multifamily space in this country. And I even think in the United States as well. I think the Americans adopt a little bit quicker than we do. I think it's here. Companies see it. They know they have to do it. And it's just going to take some time to do it. And the technology is there today. And that's only one example. There are many other examples, especially when you look at prop tech in the prop tech world for commercial real estate. Lots of money being put into IoT and AI. And I think it's going to change the world of real estate. When you say AI, you know, people always think about robots walking around, but really you're just talking about machine learning and automation of processes, right? Like when you receive emails into a mass inbox, a machine is reading them and digesting them more quickly than a human would have <laughs> sending them out in different places. Just an automation of resources and an yeah. efficiency of business. Agreed. And Aaron, I don't want to go too long on this because we only have so much time for the podcast, but when you talk about this kind of stuff, we had been showing a client a chatbot. And then there's lots of chatbots out there. You can go to all kinds of websites and see chatbots. But the question is, is can you get a natural language chatbot that physically learns by its experience? So chatbox, we all see, you know, it comes up on your screen, it asks you what you're doing, it asks you a few questions. Many of them have pre-programmed answers looking for I've keywords. I've never found one useful. Ever once have I typed okay. something in and gotten the so, response and, and, back. And, and, oh, I agree, but I'm not waving any flag here. But when you get into the multifamily space and you have a natural learning chatbot, a natural language chatbot that learns from every experience it has across every client it's dealing with. So in our world, we have chatbots that come up that clients can deploy. It's not a chatbot that's just singular. That chatbot learns from all of our clients across North America and all of the phrasing and everything it's doing. So when it's delivering responses, they're not pre-programmed CAN-style responses. It's actually learning every day. And then do it in multiple languages. This is where AI comes in to the space, at least in a multifamily space, Then it's only starting to come out. It's just at its beginning. 
which will revolutionize how we're going to lease space. It will revolutionize how we communicate with applicants, our residents, and other stakeholders in this industry. And we're now able to see managing with a chatbot, someone coming in, applying online, the chatbot handling the entire lease process, and then introducing a lease back in for signature without a human touching it. That technology is today, we've clients that have deployed it with us in the US right now, and something that we're going to be now bringing into the Canadian market. And again, I don't mean this to be a commercial, but I don't know how else to describe this in terms of where I is today and where real estate will be tomorrow. It's going to be dramatically changed. And these are one of these things that are opening the door to see that change. I love what you're saying, Peter. I'm a full believer that this is happening. I think you've said it, the trajectory at which the change is occurring in the commercial real estate industry is increasing quickly. And I hope that 2022, we see more and more of that. We're going to have you back. I mean, Peter, we often get a chance to talk with you while we do these sort of real estate forum reviews. But I think the next one's going to be basically just talk about what you're seeing in the technology space within commercial real estate. Because I think we could probably do a full hour on IoT and blockchain and all the things that you're focused on in your day-to-day business. Happy to do it. It'll be a great conversation. Yeah, I agree. So let's schedule that in. Stay tuned. Last but not least, 2022 predictions. I will go first. I got 30 of them and I don't think any of them are any more interesting or useful than the others. I was trying to think of something that's creative. Maybe I can, maybe I can't. Here's one that's probably off the board. I bet you investment, or I predict investment in retail will be one of the top two asset classes in 2022. So I don't know if it's industrial or apartments ahead of there, but I think retail will be higher than one of those two in 2022. That's my prediction. I agree, Aaron. I think (laughs) retail is an asset class. Yeah, I can. I'll tell you why I can. I think retail, when you look at retail, there is such opportunity with retail right now. And I think the real estate companies are seeing it too. Everyone's a little bit shy, but they're seeing it too. I think retail will not look like what it did 15, 20 years ago. It will be complete mixed asset class, multifamily housing, rental business, condo, senior living, all attached to a mall. And the mall will be specialized based on its surroundings like they are today. But the retail owners will control and have more insight on who's coming in because they will be living in those locations. It will self-generate its own income and it will attach internet to retail is already there. It's going to strengthen even more. I think if you bring people into those areas to live, you make them nice places to live. Maybe I'll just summarize this real quick. It reminds me of when they built towns in Europe. Everyone went into the center of the town. And in certain languages, I've got an Italian background, so it's the piazza. Everybody went to the piazza because that was the center of town. Make your retail mall the piazza and have everybody live around it. Everybody will come there. And I think it's a great idea. And I do think you'll start to see that happening. It requires a lot of deep pockets. It requires vision, but it will occur. And then in terms of my own prediction, I think I'm still bullish on 2022. It's January 17th in Ontario. We're locked down, but this will end. We'll get through this. I think real estate will see an insurgence, continuing insurgence in multifamily and industrial space will lead the charges this year. I still think housing, there's a shortage in housing. It will still increase, even though we see interest rates going up. I don't think it'll deter the market. I think we're going to see 2022 being 2021, at least. I think we could say this, 2022 will be the most interesting year we've had in a long time in commercial real estate. That's for sure. Okay, Adam, last but not least. The 2022, the year of the lurching recovery. I've got a two-part. One's kind of adjacent to what Peter's talked about. Mine has to do with rising interest rates as well. But I don't think that property valuations will suffer from rising 
interest rates. I think much like the development sector has, there will just be an acceptance. The gap between interest rates and cap rates is just tighter than it was. We've already seen sectors that are willing to do it. You know, don't be the obvious one. I think that will spread to the larger market. If we do see this fairly substantial interest rate increase, I don't think valuations are going to touched. And of course, you'll know, pick to that is real estate is a hedge against inflation, of course. So you will see incomes rise, which does help support value as well on property. So while this is a hot topic, Aaron and I are lenders. Maybe it's a hotter topic for us than most, but I speak to a lot of people about what's going to happen with rising interest rates. I think values will be just fine. There's so much capital out there. It will just accept a smaller return. Not that I want to end on a low note here, but I think that the recovery is going to take longer than everybody's thinking. We've had false starts. <laughs> Everybody's kind of waiting for victory in Europe day, where all of a sudden we run out to the streets and wave little flags and go, it's over and kiss each other. It's not going to be that. It's going to be steps and shifts and the medical options playing a chess game with COVID. So sour note to end on. I think the trajectory is upwards, but it won't be as rapid as everybody thinks. (laughs) On a similarly depressing note, Adam, I had a friend of mine say to me, this is the rest of our life where we look for the freedom in between waves of COVID variants. And we're just going to be constantly in this lockdown, open, celebrate, party, socialize. Oh, we're locked down again. And that's just the rest of our lives. I cursed him as much as I'm cursing you. I think that's enough, guys. Any closing thoughts, Peter? No, I think this was great. Thank you so much again. I'm looking forward to 2022 and the other side of the pandemic. I think we'll get there, guys. We'll get there. I'm looking for an exciting year. I think it's going to be a great year. I really do. I think so too. So on that note, no after show, no commercial real estate after show today. This is kind of an after show of the Toronto real estate form in the first place. Of course, thank you to Yardi for the partnership for these podcasts. Thanks to Peter for coming on and doing this. As always, looking forward to our next conversation. And thank you to First National for powering the podcast. Until next time. Thanks again. Aaron, Adam, thank you. Thank you for listening to the CRE podcast. The information from this broadcast is not to be relied upon as financial investing, professional accounting, or legal advice. First National Financial LP holds Financial Services Commission of Ontario License Number 10514 and 11252.